Right. Well, happy Sunday. Welcome to Life Center, whether you're watching online or you're here in the house. So glad that you're here. Are you loving the spring weather so far? <laughs> Woo! Nothing like the Northwest. Hey, uh, you know, today is a significant day. As you heard Pastor Andy just mention, it's Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I want you to know you are in a church, you're a part of a church that believes that the Holy Spirit is still active, still at work, still transforming lives. And uh, I just, I feel compelled to take just a moment. Can I ask us to do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary? Would you stand to your feet once again? And here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. We're just gonna take the next minute or so and in our hearts, in our minds, in our words, remind ourselves, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Maybe this week has been chaotic for you. Maybe it's stressful. Maybe there's chaos at home, at work, in your health, in your finances. But here's what I know, that Jesus saw it fit to remind his disciples in John 14. And he says, it's to your benefit that I'm going away so that I can send the Holy Spirit. See, you never have to spend one day or one moment or one second of your life wondering whether or not if God is with you. Because if you put your trust in Jesus, guess what? The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And the distance sometimes that, that we experience, it's not a true distance, it's because we fail to recognize what God has already given us in his grace. And so today across this room, for those who are at home, would you stand up as well? Can I invite us just to lift our hands across this room and just take a moment to say thank you to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on, with your own words, with your own mouths, Jesus, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that you're with us. On Pentecost Sunday, we remember how the world was turned upside down. In Acts chapter two, we read about that day, that moment, that 120 disciples, they were gathered together in an upper room and all of a sudden that, that gift from heaven was poured out in the greatest move of evangelism the world has ever known was set into motion and all these years later, it has not let up one bit. God, you're still moving in people's hearts. You're still transforming lives. And Jesus, you told the disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise because they were gonna be empowered to be witnesses. So Holy Spirit, we need your power to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. You haven't called us just to be observers, you've called us to be witnesses. You haven't called us to be passive in our faith, you've called us to be active. And so I pray for a fresh deposit of the Spirit's work in our lives today. God, that we would create room and, and margin and space for you to move as you see fit. And so Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear today. Come on, maybe you wanna place a hand on your heart and pray this prayer with me. Holy Spirit, soften my heart to receive everything that you desire to give. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Can we celebrate Jesus and his goodness in our lives? You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, I, had, I had to start that way today. It's, it's Pentecost Sunday, and I think there's no greater day to kick off this new series that we're leaning into over the next number of weeks entitled The Good Life. 
the good life. How many of you, you want to live the good life? All right, look around. If anybody did not raise their hand, slap them. Because let's be honest, if the opposite of the good life is what? The, the bad life. And if that's what you're aiming at, if that's the bullseye for your life, for your days, for your journey, we, we got bigger things to talk about. And so I will be available after this gathering if that's, if that's your bullseye. Let's be honest, all of us, we want to experience the good life. And the reality is, is that although life doesn't always feel good, life isn't always simple, life isn't always convenient, God in his grace gives us access to walk in the goodness that he has made available. And so today I want us to begin this journey by sharing a a message with you that I'm entitled, One Thing is Necessary. One Thing is necessary. In a moment, we're going to begin our journey in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're new to scripture, it's in the middle of your Bible. Uh, We're going to jump there in just a moment. But before we get to the scripture, I want you to imagine with me, put in your mind's eye for a second, if you were to envision or describe what the good life is, what does that look like? If you were to answer that question, somebody comes up to you on the road and they they begin to survey you, hey, how would you describe living the good life? Many of us, we would begin to describe a, a life where maybe we have some more money. Maybe we could go on a little bit more vacation. Maybe not just vacation. How many of you would love to just live on vacation, permanent, permanent vacation? I think many of us, we would describe a a world where calories don't exist and saturated fat doesn't matter. Come on, I just got some more people awake. All right. A, A world where everybody sees everything the way that we see it. They don't disagree with our ideologies or our political perspectives. I mean, that, how many of you, I'm, I'm getting closer to what the good life is for you. If I could somehow live on vacation, have stacks of money, drive really nice cars, have a bigger house, don't have to worry about a thing, everybody agrees with me, and I can eat anything I want when I want, no matter what day or what time it is, and I don't even have to work out. Because the food that I eat actually makes me stronger. How many of you would say, Tyler, That actually sounds like a pretty good life. That sounds like a pretty good life. Here's the interesting dynamic when we talk about this. A lot of people, when we begin to think about what the good life looks like, we actually begin to define escape. That somehow, if, if I'm going to achieve the good life, I have to escape from the life that I actually have because what what is good is actually something different. And so what is it that many people want to escape to in order to experience the good life? Well, a lot of people, they want to escape reality. Can you say reality? I mean, that's ultimately what I was describing. What world can you eat calories and saturated fat and not have an impact on your health? It's not reality. What world can you live in where everybody agrees with everything that you see, think, feel, sense? It's not reality. What world can you live on a permanent vacation? Probably not 
reality. See, a lot of times when you think about this good life, it's, it's an escape from reality or it's an escape from responsibility. Can you say responsibility? The other day I was listening to a song and the artist said this, responsibility, what's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. The whole idea is pushing against this idea of I, I am young and I want to stay that way. I don't want to grow up. I'm not ready to go there yet. I want to hang on to what feels like the good life. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it seems like the common experience that many of us have in this room, those of us who are watching online, the common experience that we have in life is this, to be both overloaded and overwhelmed. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you today, you feel more overloaded today than you did three years ago? Or maybe in the last six months, you felt more overwhelmed in those six months than you have compared to the last decade. And so the tension there is, how can I escape this responsibility? How can I escape this reality? Because that feels like the definition of what the good life actually is. But here's what we need to understand about living lives that are overloaded and overwhelmed. It robs us of the good life that we were created for. It robs us of that. See, so often our, our common experience is to be busy, hurried, and stressed. Have you experienced anybody who has some stress lately? Have you noticed a change in people's driving patterns over the last 18 months? I remember expecting that in California, and now all of a sudden I'm like, man, I, I don't know what to look out for in Washington. People are stressed, people are hurried, people are, are rushed, and here's the challenge. When we live busy, hurried, and stressed out, we end up missing out on so much of life. Because life gets lived out right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, life gets lived out right now. And in a hurried culture, there's, there's something ironic that happens because as I look at scripture, have you ever noticed God doesn't seem to be in a hurry? This is a wrestle. In fact, as I read the gospels, it's interesting to look at Jesus because it seems like at times where he should be a little bit more urgent, he's willing to walk slow. And not, not only walk slow, but be interruptible. Do you know anybody who is so busy that they are not interruptible? It's too important. By the way, this is God in the flesh, and God in the flesh, as we read in the Gospels, is he, he's got the whole world in his hands, and yet he can be interrupted. Maybe there's something there that we can take and bring some application into our lives. See, today we're gonna to look at three struggles that we can all identify with, but then we're also going to look to three shifts that we need to make in, in order to walking out this, this good life, living out this good life that Jesus makes available. To begin, I want us to look to Ecclesiastes, which is some of our wisdom literature and scripture. It's written by Solomon. And it's interesting, Solomon is looking at the world, looking at all these dynamics, kind of recounting all of these elements of, of humanity and wrestling with this question, is it all meaningless? 
And in chapter 3, he kind of zooms in and focuses in on this area of time. He says this, chapter 3, verse 1. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Here's what we often wrestle with. A lot of times when we're in a season where we don't feel like it's the right time for that season, we get frustrated. So in other words, he he starts to unpack what it looks like for every activity. A, A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. That's the scripture for those of you who have proximity issues. Just memorize that one. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There's a whole lot of things that Solomon lists out. There is a time for everything. But how many of you have ever been in a time where you look at the time and you find frustration because you're like, I don't think this is the time for that. I don't want this to be the time for that. And look where this lands. Verse 9. What does the worker gain from his struggles? See, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we look at work as a curse. But understand, work was given to mankind before the fall. So work isn't a curse. Understand, God has given us work as an opportunity to partner with him in what he is wanting to do in his kingdom. And yet Solomon asks this question, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Look at verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. You see, if the definition of the good life for you is escape, escape from reality, escape from responsibility, it's going to be a difficult task for you to ever find the good. Because the reality is God has given us responsibility. God has given us reality to engage in. And the good life isn't found in some make-believe place. The good life is found right where you are at. But in order to walk in that, there's some things that we have to be willing to wrestle through. And one of those things is this. It's going to be difficult to experience the good life without margin for what matters most. A lot of us, we we want the good life, but are we willing to dedicate what it takes to create margin for what matters most? See, that's the journey that we're going to go on together over the next few weeks. We're going to look at this dynamic of of finding margin for our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our our, uh, dynamic of experiencing rest in our lives, but also margin 
in the resources that God has entrusted to our care. See, if we want to experience a good life, we've got to lean into God's way of walking out the good life. The goal isn't just escape. But here's one of the things that we often come face to face with as we battle for the good life. It's this thing called time. Time. The funny thing about time is every single person in this room, everybody who's watching online, you have the exact same amount of time that the person sitting next to you does. So listen, the busiest person in this room, guess how many hours a day they get? 24. The person who has nothing on their agenda, I mean, they got more margin than should be allowed. Guess how many hours they get? 24. Time. Time matters because it, it impacts us. It affects all of us. And in some of the ancient thinkers, especially in Greece, there was two words that they used for time. One word is the word chronos. The other word was kairos. Chronos and kairos. And they're very different as they looked at what time was. You see, chronos would ask this question, what time is it? How many of you, that's how you live your life. What time is it? What time is it? In other words, chronos measures minutes. But kairos is radically different. Because kairos doesn't ask what time is it. Kairos asks this question. What is this time for? And so instead of measuring minutes, it actually measures meaning. Am I using this time? Am I stewarding this time? What is the purpose of this moment? You see, hear me clearly today, friends. Time isn't the enemy. Some of us, we, we live life as we're racing against the clock, and if we could only have a few more hours, then we could get more of our stuff checked off of our list, which would mean that we could receive more, which means I'm one step closer to the good life. But this is a fleeting effort and journey because it's not about getting more time it's learning to ask ourselves what is the purpose of this time that God has has given me understand time is a gift from God what we do with that time is our gift back to him it's a gift and yet this brings us face to face with a few struggles what are those struggles struggle number one is this there is a lot to do anybody agree with that there's a lot to do. All of us. I, I don't care if you're in middle school and you're sitting in this room or if you've been retired for a long time. There is a lot to do. I mean, you know, when you show up at work tomorrow, there's going to be more tasks to be done, more emails to reply to. Have you ever gotten your inbox down to zero and then something magical happens overnight? What is that? You wake up and there's more emails in your inbox. The laundry is never completed. Is that true in your household? The laundry's never done. The grass and the weeds keep growing. Man, no matter if I mow it, it keeps growing. It keeps happening. There's conversations that need to be had. There's time that we need to spend with one another. There's physical health to be man managed. There's honeydew lists that keep having things added to them. 
Here's what this sounds like in my household. Hey, babe, I was thinking. How many know? That's code. That's code. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Another practice, another game to take the kids to, groceries to be bought, bills to be paid, family events and functions scheduled to serve at church or be engaged in church community, community events, vacations, trips, adventures, sports to watch. Come on, somebody. Season finales that you just can't miss. The list goes on and on, and this creates a weariness and a fatigue in our lives, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like some of Solomon's words, there's a season for everything. There's time for everything. The list felt long in Ecclesiastes, and let's be honest, the list feels long in our lives. There's a lot that each of us has to do. That's, that's the first struggle. Here's the second struggle. Every decision that I make with my time has a cost. Every decision that I make with my time, it, it has a cost. See, this thing is challenging, isn't it? Our time is one of the greatest resources that we have. Why? Because our time is limited. And because it is limited, guess what? It's valuable. It's valuable. I don't get that minute back. It's already gone. See, I learned this about time. I can't renew it. I can't recycle it. Wouldn't that be nice if you could just say, you know what? Last Thursday... Let's recycle that one. Let's do that over. But it doesn't work that way. But here's what you can do. You can learn to redeem it. To redeem the time. Say, hey, I'm going to steward it to the best of my abilities. See, the decisions that I make with my time, they are an investment into something. So when I take on some of those projects on the honey-do list, what am I doing? I'm investing, yes, into my relationship, but I'm also investing into the property in which we own. When I take time to serve in the local church, I'm investing into the lives of others by making a difference in somebody else's life, but I'm also investing into my personal faith by not just coming and consuming, but I'm actually showing up and using the gifts that God has given me. As I use what God has given me, it's, it's, it's an investment. You see, the challenge, though, is when we invest our time into things that pay no dividends. I want you to imagine you're meeting with a financial planner. and They say, hey, I, I got this new account. I want you to, to put some money in it. And then you ask the important question, well, what, what do you think the return on that is going to be? And they look at you and they say, absolutely nothing. How many of you would like close your book and walk away? Why? Because that is not a good investment. It's actually a bad investment. Many of us, we would never put our money into something that, that gives us zero return. Why? Because that's the whole point. And yet how many of us, we put our time into things that have no return? I won't have you do this now, but a great project for you this week. Go ahead, for those of you who are iPhone users, open up that little settings tab and look at screen time. It'll tell you how much time you've spent on Instagram. It'll tell you how much time you've spent on Facebook. It'll tell you all the ways that, that you've invested very real time. That's a very real resource and you don't get it back. 
You see, there's a word that we use all the time with time, and what is that? Spend. How do you spend your time? How are you going to spend your time while you're away? How are you going to spend your time this next week? Time is always being spent. And how should we spend our time? Well, I think we have to ask ourselves some tough, tough questions. One of those questions is this. Does the way that I spend my time align with my values and my priorities that I profess? So if I say uh, my value is to, to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is it revealed in how I spend my time? If I say my family matters to me, is it revealed in how I spend my time? If my marriage, if my employment matters to me, is it revealed in how I spend and steward my time? If I say physical health matters to me, is it revealed in how I spend my time? You see, those are two struggles. Here's the third struggle, though. Even though there's a lot to do, and even though everything that I do with my time has a cost, here's the third struggle that we end up facing. I can't do everything. I can't do everything. You can't do everything. You will never run out of things to do, ever. Tyler, that doesn't feel very hopeful. Hang with me. You will never run out of things to do, but you will run out of the time to do them. In other words, this clock keeps on ticking. And man, it would be so nice for me, especially on certain days that I'm like, God, you love me. Can I just have 26 hours today? God doesn't do that for me. As much as he loves me, he doesn't do that for me. I have to steward the minutes of each day. And so where does this lead to? Even though I can't do everything, here's what we need to hear. All of us have a set of priorities. Every single person. They may be stated. They may be unstated. They may be by design, in other words, intentionality, or they may be by default. In other words, it's just how you're living life. They may be because you, you will them to be that way, or they may feel like circumstances or choices that have been set on you from outside areas. But all of us, we have a set of priorities. And this matters, why? Because in each of our lives, whatever we determined is important takes the priority. Let me say that a different way. Whatever we see as important is what gets done. Have you noticed if you have all day to send three emails, how long will it take you? All day. Have you ever noticed if you have 30 minutes to sit, send those same three emails, how long does it take you? 30 minutes. Some of us are like, no, it takes me 27. I'm good, I'm good. Priorities, priorities. And what this means is the difference between those who, who find time in their day to spend time in scripture and prayer and those who don't do that, the difference is not time. The difference between those who serve and those who don't serve is not time. The difference between people who invest in their marriage and those who don't is not time. The people who invest into their children's relationships and, and those who don't, the difference is not time. Well, what is it then, Tyler? It's priorities. It's priorities. Why? Because we all have the same amount of time. 
And I get it, because some of us are like, well, Tyler, you don't understand my work schedule. You don't understand the constraints. You don't understand the confines. I get it. I don't understand all of those things. But we all have the same amount of hours that we are stewarding. And we all live by a set of priorities. And so the question that we should be asking ourselves at this point is, what are the priorities that are driving my decisions? What is it that that scripture actually calls me to? Because we have to make a decision on what we will and what we will not spend our time on. Hear me today. Don't allow the busyness of your responsibilities to blind you from what matters most. Don't allow the busyness of your responsibilities to blind you from what matters most. Again, the good life, it's not trying to escape responsibility or escape reality. We we gotta understand, life is going to get busy. There's going to be a lot to do. How you spend time comes with a cost. You're never gonna get everything done. Tyler, you are frustrating me right now. Give me some hope. Let's look to the words of Jesus. Look with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we read an interesting story of Jesus engaging with his disciples. It says this, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Can you say distracted? Martha was distracted by her many tasks. I know none of us can identify with that, right? Because nobody here in the last 15 minutes has has checked out for a minute to think about everything you got to do this afternoon. Nobody here checked out for a minute to think about everything that's coming up this next week. Nobody who's worshiping with us online is simultaneously making brunch for your kids, drinking coffee, pressing something for next week, and trying to listen to Tyler. We live in a distracted world, amen? And here is Martha. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. So tell her to give me a hand. There's some interesting things that happen right here in just these first few verses. See, Martha, she's overloaded and overwhelmed, which means she is distracted. And look at what this distraction does to her. She's so distracted with serving that there's no margin to sit. Not only that, she begins, because there's no margin, to question the care of Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? And I wonder how many of us today, our lives are so stretched, our pace is so frenetic, that at times, because of the responsibility we have, we begin to question if God actually cares. God, if you actually cared about me, why is there so much stress? God, if you actually cared, why is there so much pressure that the responsibilities never let up, the task list never draws down? God, where are you at in the midst of this? She questions the care of Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? And I don't know if you caught it, but did you see what she does next? She then makes demands on God. 
Don't you care? So tell her to give me a hand. How many of us, we, we find ourselves today in a place where we've not only questioned the care of God, we begin to bark orders at the creator of the universe. And Jesus is so much more gracious than I am. Because Jesus says this, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing, come on, say those three words, but one thing, one more time, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. See, Martha goes from making demands on God, and Jesus says, here's the deal. You are worried and upset. Why? Because you are busy trying to hit many things while missing the one thing. You ever had somebody throw three balls at you at once, and you try to hit them all? What happens? You miss them all. You miss them all. And how many of us, we, we feel like something is missing in our lives. I want the good life. I just, I want to get there. If, if I just got more done, if I just made a little bit more money, if I just had a bigger house, if I just had some more time off, if I just broke away a little bit more, and, and we convince ourselves that somewhere the good life is somewhere out there. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You got to look at it different. The good life is right here. But will you focus on what actually leads you? to the good life, the one thing that, that actually matters. What's ironic is that plenty of things are getting done through Martha's activity. The challenge, though, she still made the wrong choice. A number of years ago, a book came out with this title, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. How many of us, we have some room for God to do some work in our hearts today. Why? Because we live in a Martha world, and many of us, we, we have a Martha heart. And I wonder, maybe the gift that God wants to give us is to learn how to have a little bit more of a merry heart in a Martha world. We talked about three struggles. Let's talk quickly about three shifts we need to make. Shift number one is this. We need to shift from my vision of success to what Jesus defines as success. See, success to Martha was, I need help to get all the tasks done. If I get the task done, success. And Jesus had a radically different vision. Did you notice that? That wasn't success. It doesn't mean that the tasks weren't important. And let's be honest, we need Marthas. I won't ask for a show of hand, but how many Marthas are in the house today? Things would not get done without Marthas. So it's not that those tasks are wrong, but the problem is Jesus is saying, you have a different vision of what success looks like in this moment. We need to receive his vision of what success looks like. Because some of us are so convinced, if I, if I just get that next promotion, if I just get that next relationship, if I just get this next thing, then I will achieve success. And imagine succeeding at all the wrong things and missing the thing that actually matters. Jesus said one thing's necessary. Here's what I want us to know. In Christ, I have nothing to prove. Somebody needs to hear that today. If you are in Christ, you have nothing 
to prove. Your identity is secure in Christ. In other words, you don't need that next promotion to to give you that sense of self-worth or that sense of belonging. Understand, you already belong in Christ. You got nothing to prove. Can I tell you, that will release a burden from some people if we would just grab onto that. Because that's Jesus' vision of success. It's not success defined by this world. It's, it's what he says success is. That could release a burden. You see, in Christ, I have nothing to prove. And here's the other part. Because of Christ, I have nothing to lose. I'm secure. The work is finished. I can lean into what he's calling me to do. And then from that place, man, I can, I can take ground. But I got to shift from my vision of success to what Jesus says is success. Jesus here, he clarifies his priority for his disciples. What is that? To sit at his feet and receive. He's referencing a a truth in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, where it says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mary is doing that. Martha's missing that. Here's the second shift that needs to happen. Shift number two, shift from being distracted by many things to being devoted to the one thing. Too many of us, we're distracted by many things and those many things, they might not be bad things. But we gotta make that shift from being distracted by the many to being devoted, making sure we don't lose the devotion to the thing that actually matters. See, this shows up in the story this way. Mary was occupied with Jesus. Martha was preoccupied with herself. You see the difference? She's preoccupied with all the things that that she's got to get done. And Jesus, I just need some help and I need a hand. And, And here's the challenge. Martha wasn't distracted by bad things. Somebody had to prepare the food. Somebody had to make sure everything was set. Somebody had to do that. The the challenge, though, is Jesus confronts her, not on the things she's doing, but on her priorities, on her priorities. Here's the third shift that we need to make, the shift from questioning the care of Jesus to resting in the care of Jesus. See, a lot of times when our lives are out of balance, a great indicator For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we begin to question the care of Jesus. Time gets going, the tasks get going, and and we're feeling stretched and thin, and we're stressed out. We don't know how to keep things moving forward. And and we get, God, don't you see how busy I am? God, if you really cared, you'd do something about, about what I am feeling right now. But maybe the issue is that you've taken up, you've taken up something that does not fit well on your life because you thought it was going to get you closer to the good life. It's ill-fitting. That's why Jesus says in the book of Matthew, if anybody's weary, come to me and and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, why? Because it fits right, it fits right. See today, if we're gonna experience the good life, we have to shift from questioning the care of Jesus to to learn to rest in the care of Jesus. And that's not escaping responsibility. That's not escaping reality. That is right now in the moment. God, with all of my task lists and all of my responsibilities and all the things in front of me, I'm going to prioritize the main thing as I journey through what you've entrusted to my care. 
It's not escaping where you're at. It's leaning into the resource that God has made available for where you are at. Understand, the care that Martha was looking for, it was always there. We see it in Jesus' words as he says, Martha, Martha, this double address indicates the presence of caring emotion. And at times, our overloaded and overwhelmed lives and schedules cause us to question the care and the goodness of God. We've got to pay attention. Why? Because it becomes easy to running at a frantic and frenetic pace, almost like a hamster wheel provided to us by Western society and culture, thinking and convincing ourselves that this is how we're finally going to get ahead. Anybody else, you ever had that conversation with yourself? Okay, if I, if I just get through that, then. And what's funny, you probably experienced this just like me. I get through it, and I didn't know all of this other stuff that was waiting for me there. And it feels like this never-ending battle of I just want to get ahead. I just, I just want the good life. I just want a glimpse of it. We've got to understand, Jesus says, one thing is necessary. In the midst of all the responsibilities, in the midst of all the, there's, there's one thing that is necessary. Hear me clearly, I believe in hard work. I believe in excellence. So don't misunderstand that. Well, Tyler's just saying that, that I should just sit at the feet of Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't have any more responsibility. No, no, no. That's escapism. It's not what I'm talking about. I believe in hard work. I believe in excellence. I believe in bringing glory to God by laboring with him on his mission, in your assignment, in that sweet spot that he has for your life. But we have to boldly ask ourselves this question sometimes. Do I have enough margin to receive the care that Jesus wants to deposit in my life? Because if Jesus says, hey, Tyler, you're distracted by a lot of things. There's one thing that's important. And if I look at that and go, yeah, I know that's important. I just don't got time for that. Then maybe the very thing that is the on-ramp to the good life, I'm actually short-circuiting in my life. I'm missing. Today, we need to remember it's going to be difficult to experience the good life without margin for what matters most. Don't allow the busyness of your responsibilities. Do you have responsibilities? Absolutely. Is the goal to get rid of your responsibilities? No. No. It's learning to receive the gift of God's grace in the midst of the responsibilities that he's entrusted to your care. Don't allow the busyness of those responsibilities to blind you from what matters most. Here's what I know. Every person in this place today, you got a lot to do. In fact, some of you, the moment that I said that earlier, you started creating a little checklist on your notes of like, oh yeah, I gotta go to the grocery store, gotta do this, gotta do you got, you got a lot to do. And you can't do it all. And we need to remember how we spend our time and invest our time, it comes with the cost. So what should we do? What's the shift that we need to make? Embrace Jesus' vision of success. Embrace it. Not, not your ideal plus a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on the side. No, no, no. What's Jesus' vision of success? Embrace that. Embrace that. Devote yourself to the one thing that really matters. And then, friends, hear me. Rest in the care of Jesus. Why? Because he says, anybody tired? Anybody weary? Come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Today, can I invite you to say a prayer with me? 
Would you bow your heads? Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace at work in our lives. I pray that we would experience the good life, that we would walk in it, that we would walk it out. Pray for friends who are overloaded. They're overwhelmed today. I pray that they would stop and consider what is that one thing? What is that one thing? How do they create margin this week to spend time at your feet, to sit in your presence? Whether it's through reading, whether it's through praying, whether it's through listening, whether it's just being with you. God, I pray each of us, we would find time to be with you at your feet, to receive everything that you have for us. Today, maybe you're in this place and you desire that that good life. I wanna remind you that it begins by putting your trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've yet to make that decision by saying yes to Jesus, knowing that your debt is paid, your sin is forgiven. You have a fresh start with God through the work that Jesus has already done for you through his life, his death, his resurrection. If that's your desire, you wanna know that you're forgiven, you wanna know that you have a fresh start with God, I'm gonna invite you to say this prayer with all of us out loud as we pray alongside of those who are maybe praying this for the very first time. Would you say these words? Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation and help me to follow you every day of my life. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who are making that decision today?